How many of you like a heist movie? You know, the kind where they, they rob the bank or the vault. I get, I get sucked into the perspective of the thieves, and I end up hoping they get away with it. <laughs> Why are we cheering for the bad guys, the thieves? That's such twisted storytelling. And yet somehow it works, right? Usually they're being perceived as righting a wrong, setting the record straight, and the bad guys are getting even with the worst guys. Well, even, yes indeed. Uh, the worst guys are experiencing the headaches that come with wealth. Uh, mo' money, mo' problems. Uh, security firms, sleepless nights, the whole bit. And it, admittedly, it's a fun genre for stories and movies because intricate strategies are hatched and teams are formed, the tools are acquired, the plans are set, and the heist goes down. The treasure has been lost or found, depending on your perspective. The thieves broke in and stole. And now they're being hunted. And now they have to look over their shoulders. Yeah, they got even <laughs> with the worst guys. Now they've got more money, more problems, security firms, sleepless nights, the whole thing. Um, back in the ancient world, the Artemisian in Ephesus was one of the seven great wonders of the world. Uh, it was the home of the great mother goddess Artemis, and it was protected by the priests and the staff. And, and the rich people actually brought their wealth to be watched over by the priests and the goddess, because who would dare enter the temple and rob it? The treasure was safe with their god. It became the first bank in Asia, and this is the region that Peter was writing to. And these priests started lending money with interest, and, and when it was burned down in 356 BC, it was promptly rebuilt. But all the secured wealth had disappeared that night. Had the priests used the fire as a cover to remove the wealth? Did they start the fire? Tradition says that Artemis was busy that night, overseeing the birth of Alexander the Great, so she has an excuse for not being there to guard the possessions. It'd make a really great heist movie, wouldn't it? I'd dig it. Uh, but we've all got investments that are shaky, investments that aren't producing. Uh, we have unprotected purchases, homes that are decaying, cars that are degrading. We're looking for investments with great returns and guaranteed results. And at one level, that's just good planning. I mean, you're, you're taking care of God's resources, right? He's given them to you to hold on to and, and to use for his kingdom. So, okay, that's good at that level. But, but some of you are really good at it. Some of you aren't. Um, some of you are really good at, at maintaining those investments, and I'll cheer you on. But, but at the heart level... We have to be careful we're not relying on them because everything fades, loses its luster, and you're not getting any younger. All people are like grass, the prophet said, and their faithfulness, their ability to withstand and endure is like the flowers of the field. But what's on offer to the people of God is an inheritance in the vault that he secures in his presence by his power. Let's read our passage for today. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed 
in the last time? This answers the questions like, what is our inheritance? Who is guarding your inheritance? Who's guarding you? Is your inheritance safe? Where is it being guarded? When will it be given to the people of God? Let me, let me read it one more time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven, that's God's presence, for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So let's just start looking through it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, we understand that at some level, the divine creator, the originator, the master of all. But he's the God and Father. God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, also the God and Father of us, we're learning. Because he initiates family as Father. Jesus is called his Son, and we are given the right to be called children of the Father as well, through our allegiance, or that faith, to Jesus. So Peter blesses the God and Father because of salvation and all of its eternal benefits, which let's just look at that. First one is new birth, right? Being born again. The new birth is a merciful gift. It's his mercy in the face of our dead and dying state. We all feel that, right? We're fading. But this changes our status before God and our lifestyle before others because we're made new. This is called regeneration, right? Regeneration. It's the thing that we're not good at. We, we can't do it, but it's the gift of God to us. That's the salvation, a regeneration, an intimacy with the Father. See, we pursue longevity here on earth, and we might be able to extend our lives little by little uh, through the advance of science, correct? Uh, there may be people alive now that will live to 150 or beyond due to life-prolonging technologies, but that's not exactly regeneration, is it? That's prolonging and, and stretching out a lifespan that's going to end in death. See, we're, we're made for eternity, and death just catches us short. When Jesus died, Peter was devastated. He was one of his closest followers, but he had not maintained his commitment to Jesus during Jesus' trials, like his actual trials when he was crucified. He, he denied even that he knew Jesus. And he broke. He broke down in tears. So what hope was there? The rescue plan for the rescue plan ended in death. See, Way back in Genesis chapter 11, God dispersed all the nations. They went after their own gods and failed in, in so many ways. But God said, I'm going to start over with Abraham and Sarah, start a brand new nation. I'm going to just make a nation. He started with two old people and said, I'm going to give you a baby. And they said, what? <laughs> and he said, I'm going to give you, I'm going to make you a nation. And I'm going to reveal myself to you so that you can reveal myself to the world. I will bless you and make you a blessing to all the nations. They didn't do that very well. They failed to represent God, but Jesus comes as the representative of God. 
And when he died, it looked like the rescue plan for the rescue plan ended in death. I was thinking, what, what was Resurrection Day like for, for Peter? Because he's talking about it. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who's going to roll the stone away from the entrance for the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. We'll tell the story of Peter and, and Jesus meeting up another time in our series, but when Jesus rose from the dead, the door was open for us too. The stone is rolled back for us to come alive as well. Our old life we trade in for the new one and we do it joyfully because of God's great mercy. See, resurrection is the launch of a new birth that extends to you and I. From the empty tomb, new creation is launched, is launching, and will be launched. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hope is alive. Through the resurrection of Jesus, this isn't a fingers crossed, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow because I have plans kind of thing. It's a secure expectation guarded by God himself in his presence and proven by the resurrection. Okay, this is a hope that's alive and well and, and goes through the end to the other side. And there are no dead ends with Jesus. Craig Keener writes, this new life through Jesus Christ's resurrection to eschatological life. Okay, the eschaton is the end, the end of the world. So eschatological life would be life that extends beyond the end. This is why Peter describes the eschatological expectation, ooh, those are big words, as living. This expectation is living. He says, resurrection would inaugurate eternal life. And Jesus' resurrection has confirmed the promised future resurrection of all of his followers. So this hope is active, even now, propelling our daily decisions. Well, it, it better be, right? Propelling our daily decisions and our simple curiosities and sometimes outright panic about what will happen in the future. Hope is alive now. Scott McKnight writes, in sum, the new birth gives rise to a living hope that is defined as an inheritance that is guarded by faith in that final salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Say it with me. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So let's talk about this final salvation. In Christ, we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. All of because of what God has done through Jesus the Messiah. I was talking to a friend that I'll call Jim the other day. Uh, we got to talking about what happens when we die. He was telling me that his brother says it's, it's all, you know, it's all over when you die. And though he used to have some belief in God, he rejects that now. <laughs> I asked some curious questions about how does one go about disowning your creator and imagining that the link of accountability is broken. You can imagine the conversation. Uh, we, we actually were, were quite kind to each other, and, and it worked out just fine. But Jim talked about how he wasn't as sure as his brother was, that there was no afterlife. So he's hedging his bets, trying hard to be a good person, just in case there was an afterlife. Maybe that would be enough to get him into uh, the good place, heaven, as he called it. And maybe you have friends like this who figure that Going to the good place has some requirements you could meet if the universe was grading on a curve. <laughs> Somehow the church has given them the picture of a nebulous good place where basically good people go. Of course, nobody really belongs in the bad place, right? I mean, maybe just a few of our enemies. So why did we end up talking about a good place or a bad place? When we're actually talking about the presence of God or the absence of God. Maybe the intimacy with God or the enmity of God. See, the, the party we're being invited to, where our inheritance is kept, heaven, is the location of God himself. If you don't want God, he won't force himself on you. This isn't some sort of bad office party or a, or a surprise party in the clouds where you, you find that you're around a bunch of people that you don't like at a party for a person you've avoided all your life. That's, that's not a fun surprise. So can we just agree to start talking about heaven, not as a good place to go, but the very presence of God centered on Jesus? Let's talk about our desire to see Jesus face to face, not just the, the great retirement village that, that, that heaven would be. Besides, heaven is not locational, it's relational. Like, where is heaven? Is it, where, is it over? No, I guess it's the area around God, but God is spirit. So it's, it's not a place you go, it's about a relationship you resume for all eternity. And that you can see the trajectory either way on that. But heaven is actually looking to relocate. Did you know that? Looking to relocate. And spoiler alert, if you read the last few chapters of the Bible, heaven is coming here. And then, at that point, new creation will be delivered fully and we'll enjoy the relationship we've established with Jesus. That allegiance that guards us right now will be rewarded in the future. That's the final new birth we await with living hope as we experience it in part now. So it's a big project. How do we live in the in-between with the sure expectation of a final 
salvation. How do we do it? Well, together, of course. But, but think of when uh, Jesus rose from the dead. To say something was different about Jesus was an understatement, right? To, to say he was the same person was also accurate. Jesus ate food in, in a physical body. And he also passed through walls to appear where, wherever he desired. He was physical, but, but, but more, he was trans-physical. He was Jesus only more so. <laughs> he was Jesus only even more Jesus. And here, when the new creation comes, when it fully comes and finally comes, it'll be like earth only more so. And, and you and I, as we take on the character of Jesus, are, are you doing that? Yeah, you sanctified people who are being made holy. You'll rise from the grave and finally be like the person God intended you to be. Like you, the best you, only more so. Our new birth moves us towards God's intention for us now, for sure. And the final salvation is kept for us is, is hard to imagine because we think in terms of time, because we're temporary creatures, right? We think of decomposition and rot and spoiling and everything we enjoy fades over time. But God doesn't seem to be bothered by time. He's never interrupted. He's never surprised. He, he does understand, however, our situation. And his promises extend to us now as well as in the future. What is promised is that the salvation kept for us only gets better with time increases its shine, and lasts forever. Imperishable, unspoiling, unfading inheritance. Are you excited yet? Can we put our hope in Jesus? The, the people of God have received the promises of God's provision. But we've also inherited the tendencies of the people of God. We tend to rely on God when we can't rely upon ourselves. When God provides we forget that we need him and then we start looking to ourselves to provide. And that's a big trap in affluent areas, isn't it? So here's a couple pesky pastor questions. What do your receipts, invoices, tell you about what you value? How does your free time expose what you value the most? If you don't think you're in the trap, ask those around you about what you prioritize with your time and your wealth. Church, when you doubt your inheritance, ask Jesus to remind you of his resurrection. When you doubt your grip on Jesus, do I have the faith? Remember Jesus' grip on you. When you struggle to stay focused, do whatever you can to get your eyes on Jesus. He is the source of our living hope. He's the center of the work of God in this world, and he will be forever.